0: Here is Pastor Micaiah.
1: I'm excited to be back today and looking forward to diving in. We kick off a brand new teaching series. And I just want to say thank you so much for everybody, first of all, who helped make last week Food Truck Sunday such a success. Can we just give it up for those? Thank you. You guys did a phenomenal job. What was really cool, really special about last week is not only the fact that we had 25 first-time visiting families, that was great, but 12 people wrote on a connection card that they gave their life to Jesus last week. That's what's awesome. I love celebrating that. So we had a great, great day. And along with people... Giving their life to Christ, our church today is kicking off a three-week track called Growth Tracks, and it's basically our discipleship. It's three weeks, three Sundays, and today is track number one. So you say, who is it for? For those who have just began their journey following Jesus, and they want to grow, they want to jumpstart it, they want to learn more about it. Then hey jump into that class. It's going to go on during both services, and it's three weeks long. It's a three-week commitment. Uh, Originally, I had done this class, and we did a four-week commitment, but that's really tough. So we're going to break it down to three. And so today is all about that decision to follow Jesus. What does that mean? What is baptism? How do I jumpstart this spiritual journey? And so today, if you are, maybe you're new to Southridge, you haven't gone through it, then you can go and be a part of that. They do have snacks, so I'll just throw that out there. Uh, So just a a uh, bribe you, you know, and uh, so that'll happen during this hour, and it'll also happen during the second hour, so if you say, hey, I want to jumpstart my journey, yes, I want to go and be a part of that, it's right in between the cafe, you'll see it right out there, and uh, just jump into that class, you'll meet others who are new, it's kind of cool when you start coming to a new place to kind of go with a new group, then you feel like you just fit in just that much more, and then today we are kicking off a new series, and I love Going through series, studying the Bible in series. You say, why? Because we're kind of the Netflix culture. You say, What do you mean, Netflix culture? I love a new series when it comes out on Netflix because I get to binge watch. It's just I don't have to wait week to week. That's old school. I don't do that no more. All right. I want to wait for the entire season. Or if it is one of those things where it's week to week, like this is us, I was watching This Is Us and the cliffhanger, which is every time. So I said, forget it. I'm done watching This Is Us. She said, Why? Do you like not like the show? No, I love this show but I don't like all the cliffhangers so I'm gonna wait until the show goes off the air and on a Netflix and I'll just binge watch the whole thing. like no joke. Last fall, I had never seen any of the episodes of Friends, okay? I'd never seen one entire episode, okay? And so I was able to binge watch every single season. It was amazing, okay? It's just cool, all right? The show had been off the air for almost 10 years, and I was able to just go through it in about three months, okay? So that's that's how I like to do things. Now, when it comes to church, sometimes it's hard to jump in when we're not in a series. It's 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 hard to just kind of, hey, where are we at? So we, we go in series anywhere from five to eight weeks long, and we'll study a book of the Bible, study a topic of the Bible or a character of the Bible, and we can dive in. But here's what uh, is really strategic. So whether you are new to the faith or you've been following Jesus your entire life, we try to be strategic about our series so you can just jump on board anywhere. And where you can engage. And so also, we want to make it easy for you to invite your friends, your family, and your coworkers to church. And so we'll use topics like throwing shade. Why? Because we want you to feel like, hey, it's easy to come to church come on to church. You're, you're going to like it. You know, it's on a high school campus. It's kind of different, but it's great. We'll go see our alma mater, you know, and everything, and we'll just go check it out, you know. It's a good time, all right? So we kind of work through series, and today we are kicking off a series, and there's a great verse. It's found in Ephesians chapter number 4, verse 29. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I love that verse. How many of you wish your boss knew that verse? I mean, just right off the top, right? How many knew your spouse? Oh, wait, wait, no, let's not go there. <laughs> knew that verse or, the, or that special someone in your life. You're like, oh, that's a good verse for you. That's, that's great. And uh, when this series is kind of birthed out of that verse, That if we just step back, we look at what we say and our speech and how it impacts people. Because many of us have grown up and we've probably at one time or another heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never It's not true, is it? It's so not true. Because here's the thing. Uh, Our bones heal, don't they? But some of us carry the wounds of words that happened decades ago. Words hurt. Words cut deep. And it's amazing that we can just kind of go about our day and we can just kind of say things and off the cuff. And what I've noticed is I don't even just need to control my tongue. I need to control my tone. It's not just what I say, but how I say it, right? I mean, I could say to my wife when, she, when I walk into the house, I could say something like, hey, what are you doing? Not that I would ever do that like I'm cooking well come over here you know take off my shoes she's like oh yeah you're about to get a foot to the neck you know like the video last week about to beat you up boy and uh, so and it's stuff like that no no it's, it's not just what I said was wrong it's how I said it and some of us it's not what you're saying it's how you're saying it it's not your tongue it's your tone now here's what I struggle with my wife is beautiful and she's amazing but she's Filipino they have a different tone for the when they say things. So I have to figure out, wait a minute, what tone is this? Yeah. Is this the angry tone? Or is this, she's just talking fast. She's not angry. It's just the way her tone is. So I don't need to get all bent out of shape. I don't need to get upset. Her tone's not wrong. It's not her tongue. It's not her tone. But can you see? You see, the Bible says in James that the tongue is like a world of iniquity. It says it's like a fire that can burn things down. And so we've been in arguments We've been in uh, heated discussions, and I've noticed most of my conflicts come out of conversations. But what I struggle with, and I'm going to work on it here, and I'm going to bring a dummy out here. This is Bob, and I'm going to ask Bob to help me, okay? And uh, maybe some of you would recognize Bob. Yes, this is Bob. Bob's going to help me today. Because too often our words are like punches. They're powerful, right? And sometimes we don't realize the power of our words to our spouse, to our loved ones, to friends. Hey, it can be coworkers, but we need to understand that our words carry weight. And if our words carry weight, we need to know how to carry that weight. Because it's amazing, we live in a culture and you see it, man. People just let words fly, don't they? I mean, things escalate so fast. We're coming up on uh a wonderful season entitled presidential election season. And it seems like it starts earlier and earlier every year. And all of a sudden, the debating, the backbiting, the fighting, it seems like they just keep throwing hits, right? Now, I've noticed it's one thing to throw hits in front of somebody, okay? I've noticed that. But do you want to know what my biggest problem is? It's not the hits that I throw to the person. It's the hits that I throw to the person when they're Back is turned. That are the most dangerous. Let me break it down. Oftentimes, I will catch myself saying something about someone else to someone else that I should be saying to that person. Let me break it down a little bit more. Too often, we say things to someone else that we should be saying to that person. But the reason we don't go to that person is because we don't want that person to think bad about us. So we don't tell them the truth. We don't speak the truth in love. And instead, we're worried about throwing shade, but here's the dangerous thing. It's the most dangerous thing to be throwing punches when their back is turned. But yet, too often, that's when we talk about people. And then we'll say, oh, in, in Christian speak, I just got back from North Carolina, and it was awesome. Had Waffle House at 1.45 in the morning. Best time of my life. It's amazing. Ordered our waffles. And the guy was like, you mind if I take a smoke break? No, man, do it. It's 145. We're eating waffles. And he left. It was just the four of us in his restaurant. Register's right there. He even left his phone. He was like, my phone's connected to Bluetooth. You just, you just change the music if you don't want. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. And he left. Left his phone and left us with waffles. We could have gone and made our own waffles. We could have just taken over the place. All right? We were in the South. In the South, they got a little saying, bless their heart. And then they talk about them. <laughs> like I'm doing now. He ain't here. But isn't that amazing that we do that? And we'll do it to our spouse, we'll do it to our coworkers. we'll do it to our friends, and we don't understand how powerful our words are. But here's what gets me. That would be one thing if it was just a group outside of the church. But there's this group of people that call themselves Jesus followers, call themselves Christians, and they do this just like everybody else, maybe even a little bit worse, right? I'm getting some strong amens this morning. Some of you are like, yes, Lord is my witness. The devil's a liar. Yes, uh-huh. Because we know, it, we've experienced it. And this is why sometimes we don't go to church. This is why sometimes we don't like to be around Jesus' followers. Because of this. Because we know that, guess what? Sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt. But then we know, actually, I've been wounded by it. I've been hurt so deep, I don't know if I'll ever recover. So words have great power negatively, but words have great power in the positive sense, too. How many have ever heard the infamous speech, I Have a Dream, by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? Did you know he almost didn't give that speech? You know that, right? Right? Matter of fact, you can listen to the speech. It's 17 and a half minutes long. You can go pull up the speech on YouTube, and the very beginning of the speech is very much... Uh, Very factual, very much, uh, this is what we're going to do. This is what's happening. Then at about eight and a half minutes in, there's a 10-second pause, and you can faintly hear the voice of a woman say, tell them about the dream, Martin. It was Mahalia Jackson. The first one African-American woman to come and sing in the White House. Mahalia Jackson was very close to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And Mahalia Jackson would go to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when he was down and when he was depressed and encouraged. And she would sing and it would encourage him. And she was on the stage and she could tell that what he's talking about is good, but it's fact, but it's not moving anybody. And all of a sudden you can see the cadence in the speech change when he started to talk about, and I have a dream on the red hills of Georgia. Georgia. And all of a sudden, you can hear as his close followers, they said, that's not the script. Because he took his notes from the script and he pushed them aside. Whereas the first half of the speech, he was looking down the entire time, reading and then looking up, looking down, reading. And then when he went into that part where he started talking about the dream, he never lost eye contact with the crowd. It was all from his heart. One of his close aides said, these people don't know it, but they in church. And he started Preaching. And he started going off about the dream, and it was powerful, and it erupted something in the moral conscience of our country because of that speech. And it was all because of a woman by the name of Mahalia Jackson who encouraged him to tell the dream speech. She said, that's what's on your heart. Tell them the dream speech. Don't just give us a bunch of facts. So our words have power. Words carry weight. But so often we use our words for the wrong things, don't we? It seems so easy. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at an important character. His name is Hezekiah. And if you have a copy of God's word, would you turn to the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 19. 2 Kings, excuse me, chapter 18. And so we're going to look at over the next several weeks, how do we handle critics and haters? How do we control our tongue? How do we handle these conversations? And we're going to look at a character who is just a powerful character. And we're going to kind of do an in-depth study over the next several weeks. And I hope you come back each week because we're going to be building each week. And it's just going to kind of keep going and keep going. So let's look at just a few verses this morning, the time that we have left. 2 Kings 18, verse number 1, it says, In the third year of Hoshea son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah pools. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord, God, has given him from Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria, and he did not serve him. This is Hezekiah. He's a great guy. Now, Hezekiah comes into rule after the divided kingdom. So let me just give you a little bit of history real quick, okay? So uh, King David and Saul were a part of the original united kingdom. David took over rule, and there was a united kingdom. But David had a son. His name was Saul. Saul had a son, and that son split the kingdom in two. There was the northern and the southern kingdom. And Judah is the northern kingdom. And all of a sudden, what's going to happen is Hezekiah decides, guess what? We're going to follow God. But here's what's amazing. Hezekiah's dad is Ahaz. Ahaz was a wicked guy. You say, how wicked? Ahaz was the type of guy that he would worship false deities. And these, these false deities he, deities he would worship required child sacrifice. So he would sacrifice his own son. That's the type of guy Hezekiah's dad was. So how do you have a, a dad like Ahaz, but you, you come out a Hezekiah who follows and fears God and God blesses him? I love it because it's an example to you and I that it doesn't matter who our parents were. We could still do right. It doesn't matter what we've been through. We can still choose to say, you know what, I'm going to do it differently. So as culture around us and around Hezekiah in that day was not a great culture, sometimes we say, well, you know what, I'm just going to talk like this. I'm going to act like this because it's just kind of in me. It's just my culture. No, you don't have to do that. I don't want us to be the church that we just make up excuses because it's just too hard to talk kindly to people. It's just too hard to to have the right speech to our loved ones, to our spouse, and to those who are close to us. No, no, we can't let culture be the dictator of our behavior. We can't say, you know what, today is just a really bad day, and today people just do things differently, and it just kind of seems like this is just kind of expected and normal, so I'm just going to blend in. No, 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 no. Hezekiah decided, no, I'm going to be different. Even though my father was a wicked person who did everything that was against following God, I'm going to do right. And you say, man, that's great, Hezekiah. So what happens to Hezekiah as soon as he decides to follow God? Verse number 8 says, from watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza in its territory. In King Hezekiah's fourth year, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmanazar, king of Assyria marched against Samaria and laid siege to it at the end of three years the Assyrians took it so Samaria was captured captured in Hezekiah's sixth year which was in the ninth year of Hosea king of Israel you say what's happening he says I'm gonna follow God and guess what happens an invading army comes after him you ever made that decision like hey I'm gonna do right I'm gonna start going to church and your car breaks down You're like, man, we're going to get up early. We're going to get the kids dressed. I'm going to get breakfast ready the night before. And we're going to just go worship the Lord. And all of a sudden, man, you just fight with your spouse the entire way to the car. Or work is just blowing up your phone. Or the kids are just screaming. And you're that parent with the fake smile. And you've got your hand, like, digging into the side of your kid's back. And you're just like, you better behave. Okay? You know one of those? Yeah. We've been there, right? Or at least we're going to pretend like we haven't. But we've all been there. Right? Why? Because it seems like as soon as you and I decide to do right, that's when the enemy comes and attacks. Because he wants to discourage us before we've ever started. So right now, you may be thinking, man, I just came to church for the first time last week. I'm two weeks into church. Man, that is so much church that I've had in one month. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've never had that much church. That's a lot of church. And you're excited. We're excited for you. But all of a sudden, the hits start coming. And all of a sudden, your speech doesn't want to be exactly uh, Christianese little, want to start, not so much bless God, but a couple other words uh, with God in it that you want to use, but not exactly bring glory to God. You kind of want to say some other things. And it just seems like, man, the pressure mounts. And I heard this this week, and I think it's so good. The devil is not stronger than you, bigger than you. He just knows your pressure points. How many had a big brother, big sister? Come on, let me see your hands. Big brother, big sister. My brothers and I were all about the same height. So we didn't have size on each other. But you know one thing we did have on each other? We figured out those pressure points. And man, we would just go to town on those pressure points. Like right here in your collarbone, you got all these pressure points. He just pushed down. Ah, it hurts. And it's this. Satan knows that he can't take you out, but he could just hit those pressure points. And so, what he's trying to do right now is your journey is just getting started. He's going to hit those pressure points. Hezekiah is saying, Hey, no king has done right before me, but guess what? I'm going to do right. And all of a sudden, Satan's like, I'm going to hit the pressure point. Let's send in the Assyrians. They're the world power of that day. And what the Assyrians would do is they would go into an invading country. They wouldn't hit the capital city, but they would hit all their fortified cities and attack their allies. And then they would come to the capital city and say, Hey, guess what? We already took out your fortified cities and we've already attacked your allies. Surrender. And so that's what he's faced with. So let's continue reading just for a second. Then we're going to draw context. So the kings of Assyria come to him. And in verse 19, the field commander says to Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? Why are you so confident? That's a good question I want to ask you this morning. What is your confidence based in? Is it based in your alarm clock to get to church on time? Is it based on, hey, I'm going to set the reminder that I need to be uh, in the Bible. Or I need to be praying. What is your confidence in? What is your confidence in for your relationships, for your job, for your security? Where do you base that confidence in? He points out that, hey, don't trust in Egypt. Egypt will fail you. And he starts to talk to them. But then I love how he begins to criticize. And I want to skip down a few verses because really I want to cover the entire chapter. But we don't have a lot of time, so we need to keep moving. But here's what he says in verse number 30. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust the Lord when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern. Until I come and take you to land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death. Isn't that what Satan does? He tries to promise you something better. But he never lives up to his promises. So the Assyrians are trying to promise something. Verse 33. Has the god, small g, of any other nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath or Arpad? Where are the gods of Serebin, Hena, Ivah? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save his land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? But the people remained silent, saying nothing to reply, because the king had commanded, do not answer him. You know, speech is two things, isn't it? It's verbal and nonverbal. And sometimes, nonverbal communication is the most powerful form of communication. There have been times when I've been in a, I don't like to say argument with my spouse. We call it passionate discussions. Where she will take the high road, and I'm definitely wrong, but then I will see her just go quiet. When I'm heated, when I'm upset, where I'm, I'm righteously angered. It's never righteous, by the way. But I think it is, and she will go quiet. Now, she's not passive. She just goes quiet, and then I know I've crossed the line. Because her silence is saying something, isn't it? And the greatest skill that I'm learning these days is that I don't always have to speak. Hezekiah gave his servants a command. He said, don't say anything. I think sometimes it's better to say nothing at all. When we're upset, when we're angry, it's better to just shut up. Pardon my crassness. Sometimes it's better just hold our tongue to be quiet. But what I've noticed is that's difficult, isn't it? I admire some of you that you're just able to just remain calm, cool, and collected. That's not me. I'm working at it. I'm trying. Very high-strung, very very spirited, very stubborn person. And so I've been told that sometimes my words can weigh a 1,000 pounds. It's kind of like the gorilla in the room. You could just kind of fill it with your words. Some people have said, hey, have you ever known what it's like to be on the other side of your words? I thought, what a powerful statement. What's it like to be on the other side of our words? So what do we do when we're confronted with people that they are just criticizing us and they are just causing chaos in our life? And the conversations we're having are just creating conflict. What do we do? What do we do when we're faced with a bully? Because that's what Assyria is. They're just a bully. Do we stoop to their level and get engaged with the, the banter? Have you noticed the most pointless thing to do is to get in a Facebook debate in the comment sections? Like, don't you know, they have no life. This is all they like to do is argue on Facebook or your blog or online. I've noticed people are brave behind a keyboard. People will say something via text, via Snapchat, TikTok, whatever you're using these days. They get real brave that they would never say to your face. They never would. Because people get brave behind a keyboard. I call it keyboard courage. (laughs) Keyboard courage. That's just keyboard courage. It ain't real. If they were right here, right now, they wouldn't say it. Unless they're like seven foot tall, then maybe they might. They might. 50 50. Roll the dice, take your chances. But it's amazing that we'd say things. So the first of all, you say, how do we win the battle against the bullies? First of all, stay silent. You're like, that's not what I wanted to hear. That's not what I came to church to hear. Stay silent. That's, maybe my husband needs to hear that. Maybe my wife needs to hear that. Maybe my boyfriend, my girlfriend, maybe my kids need to hear this. This needs to go to rich kids. This lesson needs to go over there. Stay silent. I have three kids, a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a two-year-old. They all talk too much. They all do. It's nonstop. I can't i mean it's amazing how much they talk uh my sister's in the service and my brother-in-law and i was gone for three days they watched our kids i came back and i think they talk even more i don't know if they just made them read the dictionary to learn more words but i was just like you guys just talk so much you know like hey they say silence is golden but duct tape is silver just just throwing that out there okay just throwing it out <laughs> I'm going to get in so much trouble after this service. I know some of you are like calling Child Protective Services, like on your phone. Uh huh. Man, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do it. I think it, I think it, but I don't do it. But it's amazing that sometimes when it just comes to these intense situations, what do we do? He said, hey, stay silent. Why is it so important that we stay silent? Because we need to understand that when it comes with silence, silence is really powerful. Our silence says so very much. You see, silence is what creates the distance and what separates people. Silence does. And what King Hezekiah was trying to tell the people, hey, we need to put some distance. You say, what do you mean, why do we, they need to put some distance? I didn't have time, but I had to skim over it. Here's the thing. King Hezekiah, in verses 11, Assyrians came against him, and they said, if you pay us a tribute, a bribe, we'll leave you alone. So Hezekiah paid it. Matter of fact, it was so much money, it would be uh, insurmountable today. He even went to the temple and took the gold off of the doors to pay this little uh, tribute. And what is what happened as soon as he paid it, the Assyrians still attacked him. So he said, hey, we gotta cut this relationship off. So we're gonna we're gonna put silence here. Now I know, I know in a relationship, silence can be deadly. Some of us would say, hey, what killed the relationship? When silence did most of the talking. That's what kills the relationship. But there are some relationships that need to die. Now, in the context of your marriage, in the context of dating, the context of a healthy relationship, no, silence when properly properly used is a good tool. But we don't use it to manipulate. We use it when, guess what, when I'm about to say something that's not going to be kind, it's not going to be helpful, it's going to be hurtful, guess what, it's better that I just don't say it. It's better that I just don't speak. So I'm going to stay silent because it's better to have a meaningful silence than to let meaningless words come out of my mouth. Have you ever said to yourself that, you know what, that's their problem? You ever said that? Somebody comes to you and says, hey, they're mad at you. And you say, well, that's their problem. Or you ever said this, well, that's just how I am. You know what you're doing? You're making excuses without saying, hey, guess what, I might actually have a problem. And what we're going to do in the first part of this series is we're tackling the fact that guess what? Hey, we want to win this battle of good and healthy communication. Sometimes we got to look inward and we got to say, wait a minute, does it start with me? Is the reason that I'm affecting people is the reason relationships escape and get away from me? Is it because of me? Then I need to stay silent. So please write this down, note takers or history makers, if you don't have a journal, go and buy a Southridge Life journal on your way out, just, just pick one up, okay? Because we want you to write these notes, because I believe it will help your relationships, help you, because I don't want to just teach you about Jesus, he, he, he's all you need, but I want to also continue that as well, I want to give you some practical life stuff as well, I want you to see and have some handles on this, because guess what, we all have a tendency to fill in the blank, to be too loud, to be too quiet, to be too passive, to be too submissive, to be too angry. We all have a tendency to something. What's your tendency? Do you know what your tendency is? If you don't, ask your wife, she knows. She knows. And she would love to tell you. She's told you many times before. Silence from the men. I don't know what you're talking about, preacher. I'll just show up. You see, I have a tendency to be blank, fill in that blank. What is that? So we need to then choose to be blank. We need to choose the opposite of that. If we have a behavior, instead of just saying, I am what I am, instead of just saying, hey, that's just how I be, now, how about we say, you know what, God, you can change me. You can make me into something that, guess what, that would be a good reflection of what you want. Then when people look at me, they say, guess what, that person does love Jesus. That person does follow Jesus. That's the example we want to say. So first of all, he said, when battling bullies, you got to stay silent. But not only that, you say, why do we need to stay silent? Because the enemy loves to use a tactic. You see, did you catch it? The enemy asked a question. You say, well, "What was the question?" the enemy asked? The, the enemy asked, "Hey, what gods have saved the other countries?" The enemy wants to get in a debate with you and I. So let's move the conversation from away from, maybe with the spouse, coworkers and friends and family. Now let's move it into the spiritual realm, because Satan loves to get into arguments with Christians all the time. He loves to confuse you, because he knows if he can confuse you, you lose. If he can get you to confuse, you lose. You say, why? What do you mean? Jesus never got in an argument with Satan. He talked to Satan, but he never got in an argument. What did Jesus say to Satan? He said, thus says the Lord, and he quoted scripture, and then left it at that. He didn't get in a debate with him. Who's the one person that did get in a conversation with the enemy? Her name's Eve. Because what did Satan do? Did God really say you can't eat that apple? God really doesn't want you to have some fruit? Girl, you need fruit. Come on. You're not on the paleo diet. Come on. Atkins, whatever. You got to get some fruit. It's good. Look at this fruit. It's like, yeah, you're right. It's pretty good. Good for my diet, man. I've been eating ice cubes, and I'm getting, getting kind of hungry, you know? So I'm going I'm to eat some food. All of a sudden, she started to have a conversation with the enemy, because the enemy would love for you to get in a conversation, ask the question to these people, said, hey, what gods have saved you? Well, your God saves you, and they didn't answer a word. Now, I think sometimes... You and I, we feel like we have to have all the, the answers for Christianity because we have friends that are not Jesus followers. We have friends that would be what we would call maybe atheists, agnostic, or indifferent. Maybe people that have left the church far from God. And they'll come to you and they'll ask you a tough question. And I want you to give yourself permission and not have to have the answer. People ask me questions that I don't have the answer and I'll let them know. I don't have the answer. I can go look for it. But my faith does not rest on me having the answers. Your faith does not rest on you having every single answer. You say, why? I was homeschooled, okay? So to graduate high school, I needed consumer math, which means my kids, when they get to sixth grade, are going to be better at math than I am. All right, just saying. So when they start bringing calculus and pre-algebra and algebra and all the other stuff, guess what? I'm not going to be able to help them. I can Google it, or I could say, ask your mom. But because I don't know upper math and science, does that disprove upper math and science? Help me, church. No. Just because you don't have the answer, does that disprove that God does not exist? No. But you know how many Christians, because they feel like, oh, I need to get in this debate. I need to get in this argument. I need to solve this. Guess what? Better you don't. Better you don't. Stay silent. Silent doesn't disprove anything. These men, it takes a lot of strength to be silent. They stayed silent. You say, why? Why? Because the second point, because they know who their daddy was. You say, what? Yes. Why could they be so silent? Why did they have so much strength? Because strength, because silence is a sign of strength. And I found this out of studying this passage, and I loved it. I loved it. In verse number one, it says Hezekiah's dad's name was Ahaz. But later on, in verse number three, it says that Hezekiah did right like his father David. Which is it? Is Ahaz his dad or is David his dad? Who's his daddy? I want to know. His biological daddy is Ahaz. His spiritual example, his model, his mentor was David. Because he said, My biological father's not a good example, so I'm picking another dad. So he said, Who can I pick? Oh, let's see. Should I pick Solomon? Nah, a thousand women in his life. Nah, that's okay. Rehoboam? Nah, he split the country. Uh, Saul, he's good at throwing spears. Well, not so good at throwing spears. And uh, David, winner, winner, chicken dinner. He said, I'm going to follow the man after God's own heart. You need to understand something, Christian. You need to pick your models. You need to pick those people. that You say, I'm going to pattern my life after that person. And you can say, it's Jesus. I'm following Jesus. Or you can find a great older brother, older sister, and say, guess what? I want to follow you. I believe you can be example and encouragement. And so he picked a new daddy. He said, guess what? I know who my daddy is. It's David. David. And the Bible says that there was no king like Hezekiah in the divided kingdom like Hezekiah, he was the best. Why? Because he said, I'm going I'm to follow God. And David followed God. Were they perfect men? No, far from it. But guess what? They settled the matter on who their daddy was. So you need to know who your daddy is. You see, when it came time, when they started saying, hey, what other gods had saved us? You know, here's the thing. They didn't understand who God was, did they? They mistook Jehovah God as every other small G-O-D God. But guess what? They mistook him. They misunderstood him. Matter of fact, they even called out the fact that Hezekiah had pulled down all the idols and, uh, and all, the, all the false gods and deities. He had thrown them out and he burned them. They even said, hey, guess what? Your God's going to be mad that you pulled down all those other false gods. Because in their culture, it was get as many gods as you can. The more gods, the more uh, uh, good that you have it. So it was like, get a bunch of gods. And here Hezekiah, he says, guess what? We're going to go back to uh, monotheism, one God, one Lord, one deity. And they said, we're going to follow him. And he said, the rest of the nation, we're going to follow God. And he cleans out the temple. It took 14 days to get the trash out of the temple. Scripture says it took 14 days to clean. And you thought it was hard to clean your house. I hope it does not take 14 days to clean out your house. But it took him 14 days to clean out God's house. And all of a sudden, revival breaks out. And we're going to study it next Next week, and I want you to come back next week. I believe it would be a help to you next week. And so they cleaned out the house, and they got the vertical relationship right. And so now that they could have the vertical, then the horizontal relationship would work really well. Because Hezekiah said, "Guess what? We're going to follow who our God is." Now, King Isser, uh, the Assyrian king, he's like, "Guess what? Your God's going to be upset." And he said, "No, he's not going to be upset." They mistook him, they misunderstood him, and they mistreated him. But you know what I see happen? I see a lot of people who follow Jesus do the exact same thing. They mistake their God. They mistreat their God. Worst of all, they misrepresent their God. So Hezekiah said, guess what? Let them say it. Let them say it. You know what Hezekiah did? At the end of chapter 18 we just studied, the Bible says that they tore their garments. That was a sign of just getting before God and just brokenhearted before God. And then in chapter 19, verses 1 through 8, they just cried out to God. And you know what Hezekiah said to God? He said, God, guess what they are saying about you. So what do you want to do about it? I call this taking God the letters to say, God, this is your mail. I'm not reading it. It's illegal for me to read that mail. So this is your mail, God. What are you going to do about it? And God told Hezekiah, I got this. I will take care of this. You see, too often we feel like I got to take care of everything. I got to deal with this but no you don't let the enemy speak doubt and disbelief but don't you speak doubt and disbelief let the enemy say things about your God but you don't say about your God hey we need to act in spite of our feelings if you're feeling doubtful you're feeling down you're feeling discouraged guess what choose faith choose life and choose hope say I'm gonna work in spite of how I feel you say what's that called too often, we base our life based on facts and feelings, and though facts and feelings are a poor representation of our faith. We need to fix our eyes on faith and say, God, I don't see it now, but I'm believing I'm gonna see a victory. You see, he didn't see the victory yet. Nobody had moved the Assyrians. He said, I'm going to go to God. I'm going to believe that God will work. See, that's what faith does. Faith acts in spite of how it feels. Some of you, you're afraid to sing during the worship time because you're like, well, I just don't feel very good. God gave me a flat tire. My dog died. My bank account's empty. I'm mad at God. So I'm not going to sing. I don't feel like it. But some of you, you've had it even worse you're going through loneliness, you're going through depression, you're going through financial loss, health loss, you're going through all kinds of things, but your arms are open wide and you're singing. You know the difference, it's called maturity. There's a whole lot of things I do as a dad and as a parent that I don't feel like doing. Why? It's called maturity. It's called spiritual maturity. We say, I'm going to lift my hands in worship, even though I may not feel like it. It's called maturity when I wake up and say, guess what? I'm going to get in my Bible, and I'm going to learn about my God. It's called maturity when I say, guess what? I'm going to the house of God. I'm going to go worship at Oak Grove High School. I'm going to go find Jesus. I'm going to be around other brothers and sisters, and we're going to learn about Jesus. And I'm going to learn how I should treat other people, how I should stop talking about behind their back, how I should stop throwing shade. I'm going to learn about this. That's maturity. You see, they understood that, guess what? I need to stay silent. I didn't know who my daddy is, but then I'm going to let my science say it all. It's I'm just going to let my silence speak. And their silence said so much. Their silence showed that they were depending on a greater source. You see, bullies leave in the presence of greater strength. Bullies leave in the presence of greater strength. Did you hear me, church? bullies leave in the presence of greater strength who is that presence of greater strength that says I will never leave you I will never forsake you that's God he says I'm always there and he's there in the hospital room he's there in your bedroom he's there in your home and he says I'm here bullies must leave in the presence of a greater strength and that greater strength is always with you so why do we walk around mad and upset and throwing shade at people God says I haven't left you I haven't walked away from you you don't need to throw the punches I've got you let your silence say it all. They had a confidence that was so deep because they knew what it was rooted in. And they knew that bullies must flee. You say, what happened? The king of Egypt attacked the king of Assyria. And so the Assyrians, they go and they say, hey, we got we to stop the Egyptians. So they leave them. God took care of the problem in a miraculous way. God can take care of your problem in a miraculous way. You say, how do I do that? How do I have that inner fortitude, that inner strength? Here's what I want you to do. You must come back next week. You say, why? Because we're going to talk about secret strength. Today was sticks and stones, but next week is secret strength. You say, Pastor, I'm just not that strong of a person. Neither am I. And if you spend any time with me, you clap for that when I said, neither am I? Thanks. I feel the love. I feel. I feel shade. Man, somebody just threw some shade up here. Did y'all feel that? Whew, it's cold. But the truth is that God can handle it. But he wants to reveal a secret to you and I that I believe just blew my mind. I can't wait to share it with you.
0: We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting southridgesanjose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.